Welcome to the world of unsexy. From scrap metal to timber, estate planning to freight pooling, this show is a meandering exploration of just how sexy unsexy industries can be. I'm your host, Elaine Zelby, investor at SignalFire and eternally curious human being. In this podcast, we'll peel back the layers of niche and esoteric markets, understanding the history and looking at the future through the eyes of the pioneering entrepreneurs willing to bring technology and exponential improvements to these often overlooked spaces. Join me on a fascinating journey into the unsexy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. My guest today is Jenny He, co-founder and CEO of Ergion, a tech-enabled marketplace for single-trade out-of-home construction. Thanks for joining today, Jenny. You're very welcome, Elaine. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Well, can you first just walk us through your background a little bit and tell, you, tell us how you got to where you are today in the construction space? Sure, absolutely. So when I was a kid, I actually grew up next to one of the biggest construction sites in the world. Uh, my parents were both civil engineers, and they worked on the Three Gorges Dam, which was a $22 billion project. From there, we immigrated to uh, England, then Canada, then the U.S. And for me, I, you know, I went into electrical engineering for my undergrad and my Ph.D. in computer science. After that, I joined McKinsey, and I was very much attracted to the built world. So I primarily serve clients in the heavy industrial space, chemical, automotive, construction, et cetera. And, and while I was there, you know, one of the, I kind of fell in love with these spaces for two reasons. One, I saw that because they were not sexy spaces, even within McKinsey and also in the real world, um, there wasn't as much competition in these spaces. And people were very, very attracted to, you know, they were really able to build huge businesses. My clients were all $100 billion plus revenue companies. Um, the other side of it that I saw as a huge opportunity is that I was doing primarily operations work. So I was spending time in the factories, out in the field, and I worked with these very skilled blue-collar workers. And I saw how little tech they had at their disposal because so little has been built for them. Yet these were very much the workforce that's aging out, that there is a huge shortage today. So that really inspired me to move to the Valley about five years ago and wanting to build something more from the grounds up. And that's where I met my co-founder, Odysseus, at a home services, uh, tech-enabled home services company called Easy Home. And he's been a serial CTO founder for the last 25 years after his own PhD in computer science. And he had built Intact, then Upwork, always focusing on how technology can change how the work is done. And our interest really crossed around, you know, how can we make this happen for blue-collar workers? So two years ago, we started Urkion together. And learning a lot from our past experiences, the vision we have is really very much, uh, construction is very, very fragmented today, particularly in the residential space. And in the past, construction companies have gotten big by just building bigger and bigger projects. They go from million to 10 million to 100 to 1 billion to $10 billion projects. But we saw the opportunity to really 
aggregate the demand by taking millions of projects that are just a few thousand dollars each and also help aggregate the supply by helping these contractors where their biggest pain is as a small business owner, they're actually spending two-thirds of their time doing work that's not building. And if they could be spending all their time building, we could triple their actual output in terms of build capacity. So that was a huge opportunity we saw and what we built Ergion to do. And in the residential space, why do you think it is still so fragmented and such mom and pop businesses versus the commercial space, which is really aggregated around behemoth general contractors? Yeah, I, I think part of the challenge in the residential space is that you I, I guess it's what you've seen in many other industries as well. Right? A big, big part of the time goes towards the sales and marketing activities, but those are not so easy to just be like, oh, here's a platform and it's good enough. There have been many platform approaches and they help with just the lead generation bit of it, but the, there is significant complexity that goes into the design, the specking, and the price, the correct pricing. Um, and that's why most, most small business owners just don't feel they can trust it to someone else. Um, this, and also because most of the actual pricing is done face-to-face, -face, right? They go physically on site, take measurements, uh, spec out the project, which really limits the radius of operation. So for most, you know, if you think of it as your small business, Sure, I'm happy to drive out 20, 30 minutes for an onsite, but I'm really skeptical about you know driving out two hours for an onsite. Right. And and that's and they tend to have their materials also in a single yard. So many of these um, businesses, they can expand to a certain size. They can have maybe five crews, or in the most extreme cases, we've seen businesses with 10 crews. But it's hard for them to get enough demand in a radius of 30 minutes from where their central yard is, where everyone comes in, you know, get the, collect the quotes on pencil and paper and grab the materials and head out and build. And how are, let's say you're a small, you know, small contractor doing residential, how are people today doing their kind of demand generation and sales and marketing? Yeah, um, a big chunk of it tends to be word of mouth, right? mm. which is also why it limits how quickly they can grow. You know, most of the businesses, as you can imagine, are not, in, not very tech savvy. So they're not using a complex multi-channel strategy, especially when it comes to online. Um, so they would typically be primarily word of mouth. They'll probably aim to manage their Yelp profile and accept leads from Yelp, allowing people to message them on platforms like Yelp um, because Yelp finds them <laughs> and they're rarely proactively having a website or advertising themselves online. And some of them might, a lot of them will, of course, just ask for referrals and they might put up a long sign but they're not doing a whole lot of other ways of lead gen. Makes sense and definitely not their core competency. 
And then in terms of the process around going out, specking out a job and then doing the quoting, are they using software? Is this just kind of like finger in the air? We've done this before and we can kind of give you a quote based off of what we think. Or how are they actually doing that process? Yeah, they are using zero software whatsoever. And you can see the competitor quotes that we get. They are all literally handwritten on a piece of paper. And typically with pencil so that they can erase and make changes. <laughs> and, and it is a little bit of the finger in the air, right? Which is a lot of also why consumers feel frustrated because when they see this quote, they're like, okay, this quote is not broken down. You just said 5,000. What does that mean? 5,000 for what? <laughs> I, I don't know what you're even building here with $5,000. Um so there is some of that. Um, but of course, the ones who manage their business well, they are actually spending quite a lot of time per quote because they are having to generate a material list, right? In order to get a sense for, okay, how then they will call the lumber yard or call the store and actually ask, oh, what is the pricing right now for these items? Then they will work it all out by hand and sum up and figure out, okay, this is my material price. And then they'll add up, they'll add their labor and margin on top. And on the material side, how frequently is the price of materials changing? And essentially, like, what does that look like from the source to the end, you know, the end contractor in terms of how much is it marked up as it changing hands? Yeah, so the materials are marked up 80% between wow. the source and the contractor. And this is not surprising. Basically, every time it changes hands, it's marked up another, you know, 30 to 50%, let's say. So if you are um, home, you know, a typical chain would be if we talk about lumber, right? They are, there are mills that actually own the land. So they are able to cut down the trees and, and they will mill the lumber at, at the mill. Um, but the, and then they will sell to wholesalers who sell it to retailers. So there's very significant, most of the cost Interestingly, because the land is already owned for a long, long time, most of the cost is not the cost of the tree itself, but the cost of the logistics, the labor, the fact that you're keeping inventory that's very, that's not very connected with the actual consumer demand at the end. So there's a lot of storage and inventory every step of the way. Have you seen any verticalized players trying to come in and own the entire stack for lumber, let's say? So own not only the trees and the mills, but also own the middleman distribution and then own kind of the last mile? Uh, I would say Home Depot and Lowe's are close, but they don't own the mills, right? So they are, um, they have some you know, major, they work directly with the mills. So they cut out the wholesaler, right? They own the distribution centers. And they'll even send their own trucks to the mill to pick up from the mill. And then they'll do, of course, last mile delivery to either the consumer or the contractor as needed. So that's as close as it's gotten. And the mill industry is also pretty entrenched. There are a few mega players. And they really, you know, they really own almost everything. There's just like a very small number of players that actually own the land at the end of the day. So um, 
and it's uh, it's kind of funny. It's like if you think contractors are not tech savvy, wait till you talk to Mills. Yeah. <laughs> like, at least you know contractors will respond to your text message. <laughs> so that's a big step up, actually. You have to send a carrier pigeon to the <laughs> mill to get a response. <laughs> no, they're like, uh, can you hand us a check in person? Thanks. Oh, wow. <laughs> and are like, let's say I'm looking to get a fence put up in my home. Are the contractors that I'm using to put that fence up going to a Home Depot or Lowe's to buy their lumber or are they going somewhere else? It's a mix. Um, so, you know, it, de- it depends a little bit on where you live and what you're looking for, right? If you're looking for more premium materials, then typically all of that is coming from a lumber yard because that's more specialty um, than Home Depot or Lowe's. However, um, I would say a big chunk of the U.S. is using something more like Home Depot and Lowe's. I was California is actually a little bit unique. We're one of the areas that is primarily redwood. The rest of the country is in using cedar or pine when it comes to wood fences. So in California, there is a bit more usage of lumber lumber yards. So not the mills, but the yards. And also in wealthier areas, because people are more interested in premium materials, then there tends to be a bit more interest in using the lumber yards for that. And for the ones that aren't using a lumber yard and going to a Home Depot, is a contractor getting the same price as you or me who would just go to the store and buy the same lumber or are they having totally different contracts at volume? Um, this is actually something that's really evolved over the years. I mean, in some ways, Home Depot was a startup, right? Back in the 80s. It's totally. a humongous company now, you know, a um, couple hundred billion dollars market cap, like really huge volume. But they started in the 80s. And when they first started, they really tried to get all the contractors to switch. So they used to offer very significant good deals to the contractors. And that's come down a lot. So as a contractor, you do get 5% off on select materials. But, you know, the difference versus you and a consumer is not huge. And most contractors that we're talking about are not buying at a volume or have the sophistication to have a partnership with Home Depot where you are bidding on wholesale quantities, which do give you then a slightly better price. And so for your business, are you, I mean, is there a a way, because it gets marked up 30 to 50% at each step, is there a way for you to go and almost be like, intercept and take on the margin that those other companies would? Is that kind of how you guys are doing it? Yeah, that's that's what we've been shifting towards, right? So one of the things we're, we've started is actually doing truckload deliveries from the mill directly to the contractor's home. And it's good for the contractor because we're still offering them a better price than what they can get retail. And they also don't have to do the daily trips to the stores. Um, but of course, they do need to make some investment upfront in having a bit more space. And we can also you know, get a little bit of margin from facilitating this transaction. Um, I think for us right now, the focus is on just really the switching, right? We're not yet at a volume where we're getting the kind of, you know, Home Depot has 50% margin on number. We're very far from that today. 
Um, but that's something we'd love to work towards. And for Ergion, what different types of um, services did you start with on the platform and why, why did you pick those? Sure. We started with um, fences and then wood fences in particular. Um, so why fence, right? There, there's actually several things that made us choose fence. One is by focusing on services that are outside the home, we're able to utilize technology a lot more. So it means that we're able to do remote measurement, which is much harder to do inside the home. And it also, uh, there are also fewer complications that can arise since we're not dealing with electrical or plumbing very much in outside the home. The second reason we picked outside the home and fence in particular is the ability to attract attention from the neighbors. Mm. So there is a very natural way of building your organic um, early on. And actually, because developer homes are always built around the same time, all their fences fall within a year or two of each other. So you kind of get this natural neighborhood level recurrence. The, are, you see, are you seeing that with your customers where you have oh, these yeah. little hot spots? Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're two years old, right? And, um, you know, last month, I think two thirds of our fence closes were organic. Wow. And as you know, <laughs> that, that comes because you're creating this positive word of mouth and a lot of it's very local. And it takes a little bit of time, of course, um, to get there. The... Third reason is we wanted to pick, you know, we wanted to start with something where the project size is big enough to have good unit economics, but small enough that people aren't needing a year to decide. So let's say if we had started with, um, you know, roofs or solar, those are bigger dollar value projects, right? They are 20, 30K projects. And People do need more time to make that decision. What is the price of an average fence? So for us, it's around $4,000 because people are often replacing um, a side and a gate. You know, that's very typical. And part of the recurrence is that then they'll come back to do the rest of the fence. Got it. And for the tech-enabled pieces, outside of creating you know, a platform to probably aggregate the supply and demand and take on some of the lead gen marketing sales pieces, you mentioned before the fact that oftentimes somebody would have to drive out to your home, they'd have to survey your property, do the quote there. Are you able to take like satellite imagery or other things and almost auto quote based off of that? Interesting. Cool. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, so there are two pieces of it, one, one of which is the remote measurement, right? So using Google Earth, um, we actually do remote measurement in two ways. So one is using Google Earth, we can measure length and pitch. And pitch is actually really important because you're, the way you do the construction is different depending on if you're on flat or sloped ground. The uh, second way we do remote measurement is that we'll do a FaceTime video with a customer and because often people can't articulate what are the pieces of material that's being used. So based on this remote um, video, we can actually take measurements of the materials. So we can see, oh, this is a four by four post or four by six post, or these are two by four, two by six reels. These are six inch or eight inch pickets, et cetera, based on the video. That allows us to do the more detailed specking. Since consumers are usually saying, I don't know, I want what I have now, but I don't know what I have. <laughs> That's a very common challenge. Now, 
that's a remote measurement piece. Um, I think the more difficult to build piece is actually our pricing engine, and which requires, which has multiple layers to it, right? We actually, you know, earlier we talked about the consumer, uh, sorry, the contractor generating a material list. Well, we actually are able to generate a material list based on the spec. So we input, we input the spec, we can generate the material list of every, you know, real post, picket, et cetera, that's needed to build. And we, we spit out a price, and that's really reflecting the labor rates of that region. And this is something that's a public tool. You can just go on we our website, thinsquoting.com. You can see, you, you can get your own instant estimate. Often people early on are just looking to get a sense of, is this going to be like a $2,000 or $10,000 project? I don't know. There's very little transparency today. So this creates a lot of transparency, but we also generate and automatically a 3D visualization of the fence. And that allows people to really determine, oh, okay, this, this is exactly what I want or play around with styles. And what are the labor margin structures typically today? The labor, you know, if you think about the overall costs and the overall margin of the project, right? Um, sorry, cost breakdown of the projects, it's around like 45% is material and 55% is labor. And on the labor portion, our take is about 50%. And that's primarily because we are doing all the marketing work, sales work, project management work, and actually freeing up the contractor to build more. You know, they go from building one to two projects a week versus with us, they can do three to four projects a week. Makes sense. How many fences are put up in the U.S. every year? Do you have any kind of other data stats on that? Yeah. So on the res the residential fence market is around um, four billion dollars a year in the U.S. and, wow. and uh, if you include commercial, it's double. It's eight billion. So um, our our average fence size is a little bit larger than the U.S. average, which I think is. Um, little bit over 3k but you can do the math 4 billion divided by 3000 it's uh you know 1.3 million <laughs> it's a lot of fences <laughs> it's a lot of fences yeah <laughs> wow that's interesting so after fences what will be the next thing that you go into well um you know we started with wood fence because around here Fences, the residential fence in the Bay Area is actually 95% wood, <laughs> um, maybe even 99% wood. So that's sort of what made sense. Um, we've started already our second category a little over a year ago, and it's concrete. Uh, it's um, project sizes are bigger, so that it's more $10,000 project size. It's a little bit more complex because you have to consider drainage and some other, you know, slightly more heavy civil engineering considerations. Um, but as you can see, we really focus very much on picking areas that are more essential and more very much national. Um, you know, concrete is concrete, no matter where you go, really. So that's very much the approach we've taken versus going for things that are fancy. And 
in the across the country are the same people who are doing fences fences also doing concrete or are those totally different companies they're they're very different trades in terms of specialty so if you think about wood fence i mean it's even different between wood fence and chaining fence some people do both often people actually specialize um because the if you think about wood fence your skill is primarily a rough carpentry skill concrete is very different now you are operating some pretty heavy machinery right to come in do the demo you know do the and hallway of the old concrete and then then there is or it is done by it's more like hard labor to do the demo side um and then it's a very specific skill to finish the concrete so that it's smooth and doesn't crack i've always wanted to use a jackhammer and rip up concrete <laughs> that just that. seems like it would be fun <laughs> fun to do one i have done have that really it's, yeah it's pretty hard uh, i i am skilled i mean i hold a license for the company for fence right so i built fences and i'm okay as a carpenter but the the jackhammer <laughs> to it takes a long time it takes skill and a long time to jackhammer out the concrete which is at the bottom of the fence posts <laughs> So what um what did go what was the process of getting a license to build fences and be a carpenter? Yeah, it um it actually I mean every state is a little different, but the requirements here are that you have the equivalent of four years of experience. So for me, I got you know two years for being an electrical engineer in my undergrad, which is considered relatively adjacent to construction. So that qualified for two years, and since in the last company, um. We we focus on gardening, but we experimented a lot with different uh, home services. So I, you know, that counted towards my experience of being qualified to do fences. <laughs> nice. Sounds like a little overqualification, but <laughs> you'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> You know, construction in general has been one of the lowest tech-adopting industries, and I know they run on really thin margins, lots of competition, lots of fragmentation. Outside of the area you're building in, what other major inefficiencies have you seen in construction where you feel like tech could be applied? Uh, really good question. I, I mean, I think what we're doing does apply to most of the areas where the product is relatively standardized. Right, we didn't go into areas where people have much stronger opinions, such as kitchens and bathrooms. And we took, you know, where, um, yeah, and I'm not saying that can't be cracked with design, you know, certain having a certain number of design templates, etc. But we chose to go in areas where the material, the underlying material, is quite standardized, like. Concrete is concrete <laughs> everywhere, kind of. You know, lumber has such certain grades, but they're fairly standard sizes and and pieces that you are working with, um, because that allows us to really build the software platform in in a very vertically integrated way. When you get into areas where the work is significant, and so I think you know, roofs, solar, um, any of those could work as well. Um, but when you get into areas where there's a very significant level of customization in the materials and how things are done, then that makes it 
a little bit harder to be your first starting point. Have you seen robotics moving into any of the things where, you know, it's very, like, to your point around concrete is concrete. You know, I've seen attempts at drywall robots and layout robots for large commercial construction projects, which seem pretty, um, you know, pretty standard. Is concrete something you think could be done by robots sometime in the near future? I think demo um, is probably the area where robots makes the most sense. Um, you know, because even in the specialty like drywall robot, at least the one particular company I'm aware of, the robot can't do all the pieces of it. So they can only do one of the four or five steps that are needed, which makes it really difficult to, which makes adoption more tricky, right? And you're like a sub to a sub. Basically, you need to get the drywall contractor to pick you um, or you need to go to market with a pretty complex model which is definitely possible. Um, I think that's where robotics, in my mind, makes the most sense. It's demo and on bigger scale projects. What makes it really difficult to make sense for us is that the scale of the project is so small. The amount of work it takes to set up a parameter and set, set up the robot is not necessarily very different than the amount of time it takes to just do it. <laughs> I can see that. How long does it take to build a fence typically for an average home? Oh, a day. It's really fast. Wow. Okay. So that's why the demo part is like, it's two hours. Is it really worth setting up a robot to do that? It probably will take you two hours to set up. Especially because <laughs> you're going to have to need a human to bring the robot on site and probably right. monitor it anyways. So Exactly. So is it really that different? I don't. I don't know that it's... I don't... I think I mean, the other part that can make sense is, imp you know, improvements in prefab, right? And 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 the material innovation on prefab and material side again makes the most sense because you are there at scale. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that for sure. As you've been, you know, you've been in this space for at least four years now. Are there any things outside of the things we've discussed that you've kind of noticed that you're like, wow, I cannot believe that this is still how things are done or like just things that boggle your mind about the industry? Well, I think it's really, it's been really interesting, you know, as I mentioned um, that with contractors, right, it's pretty exciting to see them do to try and get them to adopt technology. But honestly, like, what we really learned to do is we built a text-based app because and texting is kind of something that they're okay with and expecting something other them to adopt something other than that is very difficult. Um, I think it's also interesting to see this is an area where, you know, there's all these, there's so much we can actually learn from the commercial side. So, for example, I, I talked about how we automatically generate these 3D visualizations. It's great. It's like for the both the consumer and the contractor, it's just so much more clear what, you know, what they bought and what they're supposed to build. And we were able to build something like that relatively quickly because we're standing on the backs of, hey, CAD has been around for a long time. We just had to verticalize it for a relatively more simple product, actually. Right? We can, there's already all these modules where you can import these different textures, make it really photorealistic. There's all this 
tools available. But it's amazing, like, people often talk about, oh, look at commercial construction and how little tech they have adopted. And I'm like, if only the residential could go adopt as much as commercial, we're already so much for, further ahead. Oh, man, I believe it. Also, it's fascinating to hear you talk about SMS and text-based communication, because what we've seen is for almost any blue-collar work in general, that is the next evolution of tech is SMS-based. It has a ridiculously high response rate. Everyone has a smartphone now. People can intuitively know how to use it. And you can do a lot of workflow and automation through SMS. So it's interesting. We've seen that in a bunch of other categories. Yeah, definitely. And you know, in our last company, we built this really nice gamified app for blue color. And, but the pain of just keeping it updated means we had to install another software that allowed us to control the phones and like install updates for them. <laughs> right? It was, and, and that's why we decided to just go uh, SM based <laughs> this time around. Smart. Keep it simple. Simple is usually better, right? Yeah, that's what we learned so far. Nice. Well, the last question I always like to end with is, do you have a piece of advice you've been given in your career or in your life that really sticks with you and kind of drives you forward? I would say um, when I joined McKinsey, which was technically my first real job, the, the advice I've been given is to um, follow people, not topics. And and I think that's done very well for me. I think I am very motivated by personal growth. And I have been able to maximize my personal growth by following leaders that inspire me. Um, so that's something that I found very useful. Always good advice. I think that's a fantastic quote and uh, appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining. This has been really fascinating to kind of go into the world of fences, lumber, and out-of-home construction. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks, Elaine. You're welcome.